the key to anyone's success is honestly reflecting on and understanding where your deficiencies are, where your weaknesses are. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like minded entrepreneurs and of course some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to Apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's episode, we are joined by the musician, artist, creative genius, and founder of the Mimic Method, Idalsa Ness. The Mimic Method is a system of learning foreign language that uses sound and accent before learning the words of a language. Idalsa came up with this concept while practicing music in Brazil. This is the way that children learn to speak and learn rapidly. Why couldn't adults do it too? Fast forward to today, and the Mimic Method has helped thousands of students grow their language skills. Idalsa chats with us today about the ups and downs of growing his business, his own personal struggle of team building, and we also chat a little bit about life and business philosophy. It's an incredible podcast with an incredible entrepreneur, and without further ado, let's welcome Idalsa to the show. Welcome Idalsa to the podcast. How are you today? Doing fantastic. How are you doing, buddy? Good, and you're calling in from San Francisco, is that right? That is correct. Very cool. Well, let's jump into the show, my friend, and we want to learn more about you. So actually, you don't know this, but the very first time I came across the Mimic Method was in 2011, and I was sitting in my beach house off the, the coast of Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica, and somewhere along the lines, I think I was set a goal to learn Spanish in three months, and I came across your website and looked at your cool little video of you rapping in eight different languages. And I was like, that guy's cool, but I'm not as talented as he is, so I'm going to just try to learn it in three months with Benny Lewis. And then we crossed paths, you know, I guess four or five years later. And I know you have an interesting story to tell about starting this idea of the Mimic Method, and I think it, it came to fruition in Rio. Was that correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, I came up with the idea for an alternative way and superior way, in my opinion, to <laughs> learn and teach foreign language. Um, and it came about as me, I went to Brazil in 2010 after I graduated university and uh, learned Portuguese there. But at the same time, I was learning Brazilian music. And um, I had, at the time, that was my third foreign language. I already learned Spanish and Chinese. And through that experience and learning with people and teaching people English and stuff, I realized that the biggest challenge people had in learning a language was learning pronunciation and also by association hearing, hearing the nuances of intonation and the different pronunciation in, in a foreign language. And I had identified that as a key reason why people struggled in conversation uh, because, you know, it's not just a question of knowing what words mean. You actually have to be able to hear those words and, and create them physically with your mouth. Um, so I had always kind of been aware of pronunciation being a difficulty, difficult thing for people. And I always had a bit of a knack for it. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of attention, uh, spent a lot of time focusing on it and really trying to get things perfect in my mimicry of people's accents. Uh, and then one day while I was just learning Brazilian music, uh, I just had this epiphany that the same technique you would use to learn how to play a musical instrument, like a piano or a guitar, 
you can apply that exact same technique to learning how to pronounce sounds in a foreign language like Portuguese or Chinese. Because um, at the end of the day, all you're doing is coordinating physical movements, like motor movements, in the case of music with your hands, in the case of language with your mouth, with sound. In the case of language, it's going to be you know tonal and rhythmic sound. And in the case of language, it's going to be tonal, rhythmic, and what we call phonemic, or you know, the vowels and consonants. Um, so it just it just coordinating movements like dancing or anything else. So I came up with a technique, uh, figured out a way to kind of digitalize that and put it up online, and created the first course, which was a Spanish course called the Flow of Spanish. Started marketing it. I made that video of me rapping in eight languages as a way to kind of get the buzz out and inspire people a bit. And yeah, that's how the Minic Method was born. And this was back in 2009, 2010? Uh, no, I think um, the first course released in 2012. 2012, okay. And yeah. how many students have gone through your courses now, Idalsa? Uh, I don't know the number, but uh, thousands, you know, we'll get, um, we'll have big launches where like, you know, just for example, best, just last month, actually in the Black Friday, not last month, on the last fall in the Black Friday, so you know, like um, a thousand new customers came in there. Uh, I'm not, I got people who track the numbers now. <laughs> I'm just more like to do, do free sales. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's doing, it's, it's doing pretty well. A large number of people have gone through our programs. Take us through the growth process of Mimic Method. What are some things you use to grow it into what it is today? Yeah, so I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely not a great role model for entrepreneurship. I feel like just because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative type or you know artistic or f- scientific philosophical type of person. Uh, but when it comes to like doing that hardcore, you know, entrepreneurial hustle kind of stuff. That's, that's where I've always been lacking. So for the first like two years, it was basically a glorified um, teaching business where I had this process I created for learning pronunciation and it involved people going through these online materials I put up there and recording themselves speaking the language and trying to sing and rap these, these songs I put up there. Uh, and then I personally would listen to those recordings and give feedback on people's pronunciation. And, you know, I have a high level expertise in this area. And I'd say, uh, on this one, your tongue is too low. Pull your tongue up to get a better vowel, blah, blah, blah. You know, I give specific feedback to people. So it's very high, high value, personalized content from an expert. But on my end, I could do it very quickly because it was all, people all made the same mistakes. I just had to kind of, you know, I had to just like short, shortcuts I'd send. And the idea was always to, hire other people to do it, just train them. However, the a key ingredient of executing that idea is for you not to be a lazy person the way I am. <laughs> so uh, I just did that for a, way too long. And every once in a while, I'd, I just, re- I'm doing something and I, rem- I remember like, wow, for like two years, every day, I would give, I would spend like 30 minutes to an hour every day just giving people feedback on recordings. And there's no reason why I should have been doing that. Like I could have immediately um, trained and outsourced. And that's what we have now. We have a staff of people who do exactly that. But um, it wasn't until I became overwhelmed with all the administrative aspects of the work that um, I finally had to start hiring people. And then it was when I made my first hires that I feel I was truly born as an entrepreneur um, because really 
that's what it's about getting people to getting processes and people to deliver your product you know and um so that whole process didn't really start until two years ago and to be honest i'd say it wasn't until last year that i really started to you know consider myself seriously as a proper business and um do the right thing to grow our revenues and improve our processes and set up a foundation i'm still in that process of setting up a foundation for you know uh really high growth like i want to get to seven figures um by this time next year and in order for me to do that i need to really quadruple down on my strengths and build out a team to supplement all all the weaknesses i have and things lacking in our company and how about the growth of your business now how long did it take for things to to really start to take off for you um yeah i mean it's kind of hard to define how really started taking off um it, it was kind of thing where you know i work in i work in sprints and the problem is when i didn't have the infrastructure around me of people and, and teams to to support and grow things without me sprinting um i do a sprint generate a lot of revenue per in a month due to like sales and all that kind of stuff but then uh but then i wouldn't do anything for a while and then I'd just be coasting on whatever was made during that time and kind of go back down. Um, so, yeah, I'd have these big months, but then followed by periods of just kind of average months, you know? And it wasn't that nice-looking, you know, 15% over each month kind of growth curve that you typically look at in a startup company. Uh, but now we're finally starting to create that so if i would honestly say that it's only in the past like maybe six months that uh i've started to see like a proper business growth that you would expect for somebody who has a good product good brand and is doing consistent consistent work to promote sell and serve the customers um so yeah it's been an up and down kind of thing mostly due to the fact that uh i have not as diligent a person as I uh, will like to be. However, the main the main thing I learned this past year, because um, I, I decided last year I made my theme of 2016 uh, team and just really understanding the dynamics of how people work together and different psychologies. And one of the number one takeaways I took from that is that the key to anyone's success is honestly reflecting on and understanding where your deficiencies are where your weaknesses are. Um, and instead of doing what I did for most of my life, which is kind of bang my head on the wall, trying to, you know, reverse my own weaknesses. Now I know that the true path is to not reverse them, but to neutralize them through cooperation with people who, who don't have those deficiencies. Yeah. So looking back on it, the biggest kind of leverage points were, you mentioned that a language rap video. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of made that, made that one weekend on a whim and ended up being, really good because it really caps encapsulated the brand uh went semi-viral and a lot of people discovered it discovered the company through that um i started off as a guest post on benny lewis's blog which you mentioned earlier fluent in three months mm-hmm. um and he's one of our he's our biggest affiliate partner as well so um you know they drive a lot of traffic and sales to the site so just developing that relationship was a key relationship as well um what else uh yeah and then that and then hiring hiring the first guy i hired mike who's actually you can see him in our youtube videos he learned italian recently um as a live case study 
and he's basically the opposite personality as me. So he came and supplemented a lot of the the things missing in the business. Um, but um, really, those are really the key the key pieces of the puzzle is um, having that key relationship with Benny Lewis, um, kind of jump starting things and getting the first first traffic and and sales in the funnel. Um, creating these products um, that are unique and don't exist out there. You know, I think just the main strength of the company is the product itself and the branding and um, our messaging. Mm-hmm. So just kind of, I'm still trying to make the messaging more clear. One of our biggest weaknesses is that things are a bit confusing on the front end, but the heart of it is very um, strong. And I say as our biggest asset is just that branding and then the way that I encapsulate that through personal branding. So when I first started the business and I was, you know, not confident as any kind of first time entrepreneur is in this whole online world, um, I was having doubts. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have a very like professional looking logo and like be like everyone else and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, nah, screw it. It's going to do me, you know? So Mm -hmm. just anytime I made a decision to be authentically myself, even if I doubted whether or not it would be mainstream, um, I'd been rewarded for it, you know? Like, so if I, if I speak my mind on something or, you know, I just start rapping on videos and making corny jokes and um, being kind of crazy and scatterbrained on camera, uh, people respond to it positively. They have a stronger emotional reaction. We're more front of mind. And then that all translates into, you know, people investing in the product. So, um, um, at the very beginning, I wasn't sure about that, but I just kind of followed my gut and just, and even beyond my gut, it was more of a question to myself, a philosophical question to myself, which was basically, I'd rather make, you know, a million dollars being myself than a billion dollars being somebody else. So, um, so yeah, that was a wise decision in the end for me. And, uh, yeah, I think those are the main ingredients for what drove whatever, success we have right now. I like that. And I'd like to dig a bit more into how you're managing working in sprints with the team nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a process, it's an, evol- it's an evolutionary process. So last year we had uh, four of us working together in an office in Budapest. And in that scenario, I was a lot more hands-on and um, taking on more of a CEO type role and just um, yeah, so we, we, we set the goals for a quarter. A lot of the systems is based on a book called uh, Traction by Gino Wickham, which I'm sure a lot of people have read. It was, it was doing its rounds in the community last year or two years ago. Um, yeah, and the basic idea is you set your kind of quarterly goals. You're based off of your yearly goals. Everyone has an assigned kind of role. You set your um, major kind of goals for the period. Like, okay, we need to get this thing done. This German course will be launched by, you know, July 1st, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then each person gets to the thing, and every day you have, like, the daily scrum or huddle, whatever you call it. And um, people would talk about what they're working on. I try to come in and help people do their stuff. Uh, but it got to be pretty stressful for me. I didn't have the right people on the team at the time. Um, my Once again, my theme last year for team was to – um, understand the whole dynamics of it because up to that point I had been mostly a lone wolf for my entire life. So what I did is I kind of overhired 
just to learn faster, accelerate my learning process, hired a bunch of people and without really, you know, vetting them out enough. And through that experience, so basically all those people got fired except for one of them. And um, now we're rebuilding the team uh, again right now. And, you know, there's a lot of stress involved just dealing with people. You know, I'm as I, I think a lot of us who have this digital nomad or location entrepreneurial life are people who, who kind of didn't want to be part of the normal system growing up. And, you know, I'm the kind of person who, when I had a group project in school, uh, I wouldn't show up. I would just do it myself. I'm like, hey guys, I did all the work myself. I just don't want to talk to you. So, you know, so I don't, I don't really like to cooperate uh, with people just because I didn't have the patience to, you know, suffer fools, as they say. Uh, but um, you need it. You need people. You need to cooperate with people. You want to do anything of significance or any impact. Uh, so I learned a lot through that experience and um, figured out what my weaknesses are as a manager and as a leader of people and uh, also how to select the right people. I figured out what my values were in terms of working with a team. You know, like um, certain people I hired were, you know, just didn't share my values or um, and even if they were smart or competent in certain ways, what I've learned and a lot of people talk about this is values are the most important thing to hire for you want people who are on the same page with you on that so yeah so right now we're kind of reinventing the whole system now i have a job ad out right now if anyone's interested for a content marketing manager also hiring a community manager so in the next two months i'll probably rebuild a team of uh four or five people again and this time my management style is going to be a lot more hands-off have more of um i'll be more of the visionary role where I'm just kind of coming in high level and solving problems when other people run into it, but letting people kind of solve things on their own. But in order to do that, I need to have very independent-minded and, and um, you know, intelligent and hardworking people. So that's what I'm focusing on right now is just a very rigorous hiring process compared to last time when I did it. So, Idelsa, I'm curious if you can share some tips on letting go of control and what you personally had to go through mentally and maybe even mental conversation on things you had to do to let go of that control so you could grow as an entrepreneur and your business could grow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. For me, I one of my strengths and weaknesses – and by the way, your strengths and weaknesses are always – one in the same, two sides of the same coin. So that's a very important thing to recognize. And so I'm an idea perfectionist, meaning I spend a lot of time just thinking about concepts and ideas. And so when it comes to language learning, for example, uh, that can translate into me coming up with an idea for a product or for a blog post or a piece of content. And I have a vision for it. And then um, I can either do it and create that product or create that blog post myself, or I can get someone else to do it. But in doing so, that person is going to produce something that's different from what I had envisioned. And then that's where you run the risk of coming in there, micromanaging, uh, demotivating people, all these things. So what I learned is that you do that and maybe every once in a while you get a project, uh, get a product that's marginally more like what you want. But in the end, you've used all this energy, you've demotivated your people, and the long term is lost. So you got to choose your battles. And I eventually came to realize, like, over enough time of not reaching my goals, that basically humbles you, where you're like, okay, 
I can't do this myself. And actually, like, maybe my idea is not even that great. Maybe this person's idea is better. You don't really know until you test it and put it out there. Um, so now I'm a lot more comfortable relinquishing control to people. I'm a lot more comfortable seeing a product that's not 100% what I originally envisioned. Um, uh, but now I have that experience of knowing that this is way better than the alternative of micromanaging or over-investing on ground-level details because then nothing is done. You know, I have enough experiences just knowing that that's the case. And um, I don't think I'd be able to relinquish that control unless I had those negative experiences fresh in my memory to always remind me to be that way. Um, but also, the other thing that humbles me is just that, um, you know, I, I'm someone with a lot of ideas and especially when I'm younger, I think I know stuff. Uh, but then I put it out there and then you're wrong. Either you say, oh, it's blog post is going to be the shit. And then you put it out there like no one cares. <laughs> and then the one the other guy said, which I thought was pretty basic, does well. And I'm like, ah, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about ever. No one knows what they're talking about. You need to be scientific. You need to have evidence. You need to be data driven. Um, so I think those two experiences more than anything have informed my approach now, which is a lot more chilled and bigger picture oriented in terms of um, growing something together. And I guess the final piece of it as well is it's not all about you. And when you have a team and people who share your values and they're passionate about it and they want to see the thing grow as well, um, it becomes a shared vision, it becomes a team project. And you start sincerely referring to things as ours and us and we instead of minds and I. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, so a huge kind of not just business evolution, but personal evolution on my own end and appreciating, you know, teamwork and appreciating um, the contribution of other people and even listening to my audience and that kind of stuff it really is the recipe I observe now in all the successful companies and people who've done anything of value in this world. They all have learned that either they already knew it or they learned the hard way the way I learned it, you know? You know, so what are a few things that you would have done differently? And I'm guessing probably starting to build that team and let go of control early at an earlier period is one of them. But are there any other things that really stand out in your mind that you would have done differently with the mimic method? Um, let me think. Really, it does come down to hiring early. And um, the way I look at it now is if you have any ambition to do anything significant, um, it will inevitably involve other people. Therefore, you need to learn how to work with other people, and um, there's just it's just a whole a whole science to it, a whole new field. And hiring people, managing people, collaborating with people, inspiring people—it's just a whole new skill set. And the only way you learn it is same way you learn language by experience, just doing it as much as possible. So um, I think what happens when people, especially if they get their first sales and their first bit of money, you know, they get all golem mode and like, ah, my precious. And they want to be a hoarder for themselves and like, ah, I'm doing it by myself. I don't got to pay no, I don't got to pay no payrolls <laughs> and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But so I had that now with information I know now, you know, if I'm starting a new company, for example, even if I had no financial resources, my first thought is immediately what's the biggest thing I can do and how can, what's, what's the best hire I can make to push it forward? Then what's the next hire? What's the next hire? And really, if you look at top level companies, that's their main preoccupation, finding 
the best people to do the job, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's the number one thing I would have done is just hire as early as possible. Don't get complacent. Don't rest on my laurels, and really learn the learn. I'm I'm still a baby and infant when it comes to understanding this team and management type stuff. But because um, your aspect of that equation is um, hire people and then quadruple down on your strengths. So figuring out what my strengths were, which I now know essentially are, um, you know, product invention and uh, sales, specifically um, sales that involve um, not face to face because that's not the nature of my business, but um, video and audio and just oral communication is my strength versus written communication. Um, you know, I can write a decent piece of of content however it, it takes a lot out of me whereas speaking as i'm speaking to you right now is just second nature to me so um once again hiring people to do the writing for me and do all that stuff for me while i just get better and better at speaking and selling and uh creating and solving problems so that's really the number one thing i've realized is that i just need to figure out my strengths get really good at those strengths by doing them over and over again but then have other people uh, pick up the slack and fill in the rest of the um, picture in terms of the whole getting the product out there and people satisfied with it and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned that one of your strengths is product invention. And if you were going to create a new business or one, if, one thing you would do differently is that you would quadruple down on your strengths. So I'm kind of curious on how you handle product invention these days, kind of the process that you go through. And... Um, what does that look like when you quadruple down on it? Yeah, well, actually, right now I'm quadrupling down on more on the sales aspect because uh, product is my strength and my vice. So um, <laughs> I guess getting back to your original question of what I would do differently, uh, I spend way too much time on product in the beginning. Like just once again, I'm an idea perfectionist. So trying to get this perfect masterpiece of uh of a solution to the problem when like 10% of that would have done the trick, you know, or maybe it was even too complex for people. Uh, and then instead of focusing on like driving traffic to the site and marketing and all, and building out a better funnel, I would always just go back and try to make new products. And, uh, you know, when you make new products and sell it, you know, a lot of people buy, but had I invested that same energy and just getting more traffic on the original products, I would have generated more revenue. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So now is a kind of, you know, I kind of like locked the cookies in the cookie jar and I'm saving it until 2018 before I go back into product. I have infinite number of ideas for products I want to create and test. Um, and a bunch of ideas I've already created and tested and people enjoyed them, but didn't have the resources to actually fully build out the funnel and, and monetize on it. So right now I'm zero down on my, on the product side. Um, but, um, I don't really have a process for that yet. One thing I aspire to in the future is once all the other pieces are in place for you know the rest of the team for growth and operations and finance, um, the way I see myself as the entrepreneur in the future is um, spending most of my time in the R and D department. And um, you know, I, I love to have like a laboratory, like an Iron Man style laboratory, and <laughs> yeah. just just tinkering. And my you know my ideal life as an entrepreneur is just I just go crazy and create these prototypes and then, you know, give it to the CEO who looks at it, checks the finance, checks the resources and all right, this 
these 10 ideas are shit, but this one's got some legs to it. So um, we're going to sell this. And I'm like, hmm. and I just, once again, I relinquish control and have someone else make those decisions for me. That's what I, that's what I aspire towards. Um, but right now it's not, um, I'm just not in that position to really justify quadrupling down on product. Very cool. I want to chat briefly about life philosophy. Last summer we were in Barcelona and we were on the topics of favorite books and, and different people were mentioning what their favorite books were. And I noticed something really cool about you is that whenever somebody mentioned their favorite book or podcast, you would you would start to ask questions and very good questions about why that person liked that podcast. And, and you actually broke it down almost into a science of trying to get information from those people, why they like, love those books and those podcasts. So I think for me, it, it, it just told me that you're a very inquisitive person and really love learning. Uh, yeah, it's definitely an inherent trait. Um, I, I mean, I, this is my first time hearing you talk about it. So I wasn't even aware that that had an impression <laughs> on you or anyone else. <laughs> like I, when I, I, uh, but when I've, you know, this past year when I was studying team, I got a lot into like personality, uh, typology and understanding how different people think and how that affects what they work on. And so in my own kind of analysis of my type, um, you know, everything you just described is pretty, pretty, uh, cookie cutter. Um, I'm a idea networker. Uh, when I go to events, I, I'm, or I just meet anyone in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really curious into what your thoughts are. So I'm, I spend most of my my mental time in the world of ideas and just questioning and inquiring about things. So when I talk to anyone and they say, "Oh, you should recommend," I like this book a lot. I'm like, "Oh, why? Why you like this book? And like, why is that important to you? And what are your thoughts on this? And how does this thing? You know?" So I just love listening to people talk about their ideas because it triggers and inspires my ideas, and I just love ideas uh so yeah i'm naturally inquisitive but when i read about these things that i kind of naturally did and then had someone so basically two books i guess that would have drawn my attention to this behavior one that i recommend to everybody i read several years ago called um innovators dna um i forget the author's name um maybe clayton christensen maybe uh but they did an analysis of the most innovative companies and the fortune 500 list or whatever and the cultures and the CEOs and founders. And they came up with these basically five habits that these uh, founders do. And those five habits, if I recall correctly, are questioning, observing, experimenting, networking, and associating. And, um, so as I read through all those habits, um, and the whole point of it was that these people, they can do these tests that score how high your, 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 like, you know, your creativity or innovation IQ is, um, you know, they, they score high, higher than 95% of the population on these, these five things. And, uh, those behaviors and habits, um, a lot of them were things I've done since I was a kid. And you mentioned one of them, which is, um, questioning and and networking specifically idea networking uh so i'm always asking questions like what if this happened or why do we do this or what if we did not do this that's how i came up with mimic method for example one major question i asked is you know what would happen if you learned a language while being illiterate so without looking at a single written word how would you go about learning the language by ear uh so that's the one question like that led to me coming up with mimic method um 
And yeah, so if you read those books, and I, as I read them, and it kind of made the things I did explicit, it allowed me to do them even more. So um, yeah, so now I definitely just go out to the conference last weekend. And, you know, a lot of people are going around looking for people to cooperate with and work with. Uh, if that happens, it happens. It's great. For me, I just talk to people and be like, oh, hey, what's your business? What are you working on? What are your, what challenges do you have? Um, you know, what's the nature of the problem? Uh, and then if I think of things that would be useful to them, I'll recommend it. And it's not because I'm trying to get anything out of it. It's just because I really enjoy it. Like it gives my brain like lots of stimulation. It's like, it's kind of like gets me drunk. <laughs> it's kind of like wine <laughs> for me. Uh, so yeah, I'm just an idea alcoholic really. So at that Barcelona conference, I was just, you know, just getting wasted. <laughs> getting wasted on ideas it's good <laughs> getting wasted on ideas yeah you were mentioning just a minute ago before we started recording that you are headed to Lisbon this year and possibly um, are thinking serious about making that your quote unquote home base and it, we haven't talked about Lisbon quite yet in the podcast so I want to know from you Idalsa, um what is it about Lisbon that uh, makes you want to spend more time there Oh man, great question. So uh, I, I made this decision back in September and I told my friends and they're like, oh, why Lisbon? And then I set them like a 15 point checklist <laughs> of using like the checklist icon on WhatsApp. And basically I, what I was saying to them is it checks off all the boxes that I look for in a place to be. Uh, I have a lot of cities in the world I've traveled to, lived in, and love a great deal. You're in one of them right now, like Rio de Janeiro. Uh, great place, but all these places have deal breakers for me. For example, Rio, it's just way too much fun, way too much <laughs> stuff going on. I can't, I can't be a productive human being. <laughs> and, uh, you know, another place I've, I've spent some time in, like uh, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, I really enjoyed. But a deal breaker there is um, the air and noise pollution quality. And those things start to get to me after a while. And so I was back in September and I was sitting there and just having this, you know, first world problem, digital nomad problem, <laughs> like existential crisis. I'm like, oh, there's nowhere in the world that I can home base and <laughs> I need to home base because I'm not being productive enough. And I was like, oh, woe is me and being all, you know, mo mopey about it. <laughs> and then my friend, American friend from university wanted to visit Lisbon, which I had, where I had been before in 2013. Uh, when I was there, though, for like three weeks, I was just working 10 hours a day and didn't see much. So I didn't have much of an impression of the city. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll check out Lisbon. And I went there and then just discovered it for the first time and really loved it. And, yeah, basically, I call Lisbon my favorite place to exist, just the things I love <laughs> doing in, in my existence, for example. Um, you know, one one factor that's overlooked by a lot of people is I call it the, the delightfulness factor. Mm -hmm. How often on a daily basis are you just delighted by your experiences and i'm just every day delighted in lisbon by first off how beautiful the city is it's um you know it's kind of like a hilly valley um very similar to rio you if you go there you'll see where rio architecture comes from and um you know mediterranean climate people are are friendly but you know pretty chilled out uh delicious food uh, winding streets. I'm someone who really likes to take meandering walks. Uh, helps me clear my head, come up with my ideas, um, listen to audiobooks, podcasts, and a great place for that. You walk around, see all these crazy buildings, abandoned buildings, very exploratory, uh, diverse population, 
big scene of uh, digital nomads, uh, tech startups, um, expats in general, student scene, good nightlife. Just uh, and it's a good price. Like very, it's like the cheapest place in Western Europe. Um, I think in 2016 it was rated the uh, safest capital in Europe in terms of crime rate. And as I'm talking now, I'm going to stop just because I realized I didn't want to big it up too much because I don't want to have an <laughs> influx of all these people coming in. <laughs> so actually, it's a terrible place. You know, it's, it's, it's infested with disease and crime. Don't come to Lisbon. I'm just a, I'm just a thrill seeker. And that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> Stay away. Self-flagellation. <laughs> Stay away. And you're, at, you're actually going through the residency process, correct? Uh, yeah. I'm just starting it off right now. And um, – if you don't mind sharing, I know you don't want anybody else to come to Lisbon, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that process is, is one of the easier ones to go through in, in Western Europe. And how's your experience been with it? Uh, so I haven't, I haven't started it yet. However, I have several friends who have done it and completed it. So I, I mean, I just started the original paperwork. I'm an FBI background check paperwork recently. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very straightforward um, from what I've read and what my friends who have done it successfully have have done and yeah you basically just uh apply in the u.s i'm speaking just as an american in our process but i have australian friends who seem to have a similar process you apply uh for residency permanent residency um you get approved by the consulate in the u.s they send the paperwork someplace and you get approved if you get approved then you come to the country and um, you have to do some other kind of bureaucracy while you're there to get your residency card. And then I think you have to renew it every year. But it's super low um, requirement to maintain it. I think you only need like a week per year to be in it. And that counts the entire Schengen wow. zone. Uh, I personally plan on being there at least six months a year and really home basing it. And the main reason for doing this is because uh, I need to be more focused and I want to travel too much. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not as productive as I like to be. So I want to get a nice place there, maybe get an office eventually. And, um, and yeah, that's the process and it's fairly cheap. You don't really need to have like lawyers or anything. And, uh, but, uh, once again, it's a terrible place and it's really not worth it in my opinion. Stay away, everybody. I don't know I'm doing it. <laughs> like, I'm just, yeah. All right, my friend, I think we're going to wrap up the show there. I was wondering, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before we sign off? Um, let me think, I guess I'm like a couple of book recommendations I give people, uh, I, for, for business people, uh, check out principles.com. It's, um, the principles of Ray Dalio, the founder of a uh, very successful hedge fund Bridgewater. He's probably like my biggest role model in terms of, um, you know, how to live one's entrepreneurial and creative life and leadership style. Um, then Innovators DNA, I mentioned. Um, I mentioned before personality typology and using that as a means to figure out what you're good at, what your strengths are to, to, to quadruple down on, and then figure out what your weaknesses are to collaborate with others and understanding how those other people's minds work differently from yours. And for that, I strongly recommend the book called Please Understand Me by David Kiersey. Um, and I mentioned as well traction for those of you trying to set up an operating system for how to manage your business. And uh, yeah, those are all the things that are front of mind right now that might be useful to anyone who's interested in starting or growing their business. How about a couple podcasts that you're listening to these days? Uh, sure, yeah. I, I haven't listened to business podcasts in a while. I listen to like random esoteric stuff, but uh, 
uh i mean can it be non-business podcast yeah, yeah, of course of course uh, okay uh, all right well i'm gonna plug my friend then um paul austin just started a great podcast called the psychedelia podcast where he interviews experts in the psychedelic community like research and entrepreneurs in there um and then they have a site called the third wave dot co dot co um talking about that stuff so psychedelics is a topic that's been interesting me a lot recently and just getting like insightful knowledge and stuff they put out really good blog posts and really good interviews with with experts so yeah it's gonna plug that for paul and we actually had paul on the podcast last week so he'll oh really no way cool yeah. <laughs> so we'll be hearing more go. from him so that was redundant then you already know about it. uh <laughs> yeah. yeah so there you go <laughs> cool um what's the best place people can find you or the mimic method uh, if they want to reach out uh yeah two things mimicmethod.com is our website if you want to you know get our free resources or buy our courses you do it there uh but right now i'm doing um facebook live videos every day for 30 days and probably beyond that and i'm just giving out lots of good information doing a bunch of freestyle raps um bunch of fun stuff so if you like our facebook page facebook.com slash mimic method uh like our page follow us Check out our videos. If you like our live videos, share them. If you have questions on language learning, you can ask me there. And we're being very responsive right now in, in um, Messenger and, and our comment feed. So check us out there. Right on, my friend. And we're going to wrap up there. Dalsa, we want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your tips and tricks with the listeners. It was a pleasure having you around, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And listeners, we're going to sign off. And thank you for joining us once again. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.